0: Hello, hello, welcome to the Brainiac Podcast. This is the podcast of the U of T chapter of the Concussion Legacy Foundation. I'm your host, Melissa Biscardi. I'm a concussion clinician and a research trainee, a second year PhD student at the University of Toronto. And we have a really exciting episode lined up for you today today we are going to talk all about the concussion phenotypes or the concussion subtypes. So this episode will be of interest to both clinicians or individuals who are recovering from concussion and wanting to learn a little bit more about what might be the driver of their symptoms and who or how they can be helped. Now, before we dig into the meat and potatoes, I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of the podcast, which is HeadCheck Health. And HeadCheck Health bridges the gap in concussion care through simple, powerful technologies. A number of organizations such as the Canadian Football League, Trek Factory Racing, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, and more, do rely on HeadCheck Health to improve communication and optimize care. So you can visit headcheckhealth.com for more information. And if you want more information on myself, on the U of T chapter of the Concussion Legacy Foundation or the Concussion Legacy Foundation, you can refer to the show notes. Now, as I said, today we're going to talk about the concussion phenotypes. And the inspiration for this is that I did a masterclass in the beginning of December, and it was for clinicians on this topic. So I thought, it would be a good idea to get the message out to an even broader audience. Now, what is a phenotype? A phenotype essentially is a way to identify, using distinct characteristics, identify or categorize a certain condition or a subtype of a condition. So in concussion, it is how we cluster symptoms, and then use those clusters as information on what area might be compromised and what area might need rehab. Because remember, a concussion is an injury that responds to rehabilitation. So phenotypes or subtypes, they help guide our assessment, or if you are a patient, the phenotype will help guide the practitioner's assessment of your concussion, identify themes and clusters, and then it will help the clinician make logical evidence-based and experience-based treatments and plans of care because we like to rely on the most recent evidence, but also clinicians are always adding to the sort of, database in their minds based on what they see work in practice. And actually, this raises a really, really good point. And that is the fact that clinical practice drives research, and then comes back to clinical practice. So what do I mean by this? Well, clinicians who are out there might notice a trend. Oh, when we do this, patients improve. And then that might inform a research question because that is just observation, right? So we would want to know, okay, does this apply to everyone? Does this just apply to this subpopulation? So a research study, hopefully well-designed, will be carried out. And then... You get the information. Oh, yes, actually, statistically, it looks like this treatment does result in in this outcome. And then you want to spread that information far and wide so that other practitioners can also use that information to improve patient outcomes. So it really is a cyclical approach practice informs questions, then the answers informs practice, and it just keeps evolving and evolving. And when it comes to concussion care, well, in concussion research, it's been exponential in terms of research and publications over the past number of years. So it is important to always, whether you are a practitioner or a patient, so if you're a practitioner, definitely You need to be staying on top of the research, connecting with other clinicians, educators, to make sure you are informed on what is considered best practice. And if you're a patient, you want to see a clinician who is, I always say that you want to see someone who's treating concussions every single day, right? Because just by the nature of immersion, they are going to be more likely to be up to date on the research and have great results. So that's just a little tangent um, on concussion research. But the reason I say this is because there are workshops that I did three years ago, and I'm sure they're very good, but I wouldn't want that to be a reference for someone today. I would want the workshops I do this year to be a reference, right? So always seeking out the most recent information or a clinician that is up to date on their information. So, okay, back to the phenotypes. Now, there are a number of phenotypes or subtypes, and it will depend on the research team and how the research team has decided to categorize them. And that will depend on which Scales they used. So if you look at a research paper that uses, for example, the Rivermead, then the subtypes might be listed in one way. Or if you look at a research paper that uses the SCAT, they might be listed in another way. So there is some variability on how the subtypes are listed. But essentially, and if you're a patient, you will, when I list these subtypes off, you might identify with some of them and not so much with others. And the thing with a subtype or a phenotype is that you can have one, you can have multiple, you can have them change over time. So it's not black and white. Now, the phenotypes generally are listed as autonomic, so nervous system disruption, cognitive, Cervicogenic or somatic, meaning symptoms are coming from the tissues, Uh, anxiety, depression, PTSD, that mental health subtype, inflammatory or metabolic, so you you can think about fatigue, brain fog, sleep, headache, Uh, ocular motor, so eye movement, which is my passion, this is the area of my research. And actually, I have a workshop coming up next week for clinicians all about the ocular motor phenotype and then vestibular. Sometimes ocular motor and vestibular are collapsed, depending, again, on the article. So let's talk about a few of these phenotypes in a little bit more detail. I'm going to talk about the ones that are, I want to say, more common. So definitely, we're gonna start with number one, which is the cervicogenic phenotype. And if you remember, if you've learned before, a concussion is a injury where the head is shaken on the neck, right? It's an acceleration, deceleration injury. And that force of the head shaking on the neck Is actually greater than the amount of force that is required for whiplash. So it would be extremely difficult to have a concussion without some sort of whiplash or soft tissue injury as well. So, cervicogenic subtype almost goes hand in hand with concussion. And what might this look like, right? If you're examining your patients or if you're just considering your symptoms and what the driver might be, the thing is, with these phenotypes or subtypes, is that there is a lot of overlap. But for cervicogenic, certainly neck pain, neck restriction, you might have neck spasms, but you can also get symptoms such as dizziness, right? This is called cervicogenic dizziness. You can have blurred vision, trouble reading. You can even have ringing in the ears. I see this with a lot of my patients, and it's driven from the tissues, So when the issue is from the tissue, one of my favorite sayings, treatments such as manual therapy or acupuncture is really going to help. So if the tissue is the driver for you, you will likely benefit if you see a manual osteopath or a physiotherapist, maybe a chiropractor or an acupuncturist. So someone who's going to help with the tissues. Now, I said earlier, I do think it's always a great idea to see someone who is well-versed in concussion so they can understand the variation of your symptoms and how your symptoms are related to the concussion recovery process. But you might not have a concussion-specific clinician in your area. So the important thing is to seek treatment from a trusted provider. Now, as I mentioned, my passion is the ocular motor phenotype, right? So when the issues are coming from the eyes or the eye movements. And how this might present is blurred vision, double vision. You might have visual motion sensitivity You might have trouble when you're in a grocery store, a busy environment, difficulty focusing. Then you might also have physical sensations, such as feeling of pulling around the eyes. You could have headaches. Uh, Light sensitivity is actually, it is the eyes, but it is more nervous system related because it is the nervous system that controls the pupillary light reflex. But nonetheless, ocular motor phenotype can be assessed with some validated scales, with a physical assessment. And then some clinicians, especially ones that are really focused on neurological practice, concussion, now will have different forms of VR goggles in their practice. And that's what I use. I use the visual eyes. And I also use the Neural Flex, And both are great tools to get really objective assessment of how the eyes are moving. And then you can make treatment decisions based on this. So let's see. Oh, yeah. So next, autonomic, the autonomic subtype. So if you think about the nervous system after a concussion, well a concussion is a trauma, right? So that trauma is going to have an effect on your nervous system. And it will definitely vary in terms of severity, depending on the person. But we already talked about light sensitivity, right? It is a balance between the parasympathetic and sympathetic that controls the pupil. And a pupil is like a camera shutter, right? So it is supposed to just let in the most appropriate amount of light. But this autonomic reflex is disrupted in a concussion. So what happens is you get an inappropriate amount of light flooding into your eyes, flooding into your brain, because remember, the brain is the eyes. And that causes discomfort. Often, the exposure to light will create a headache when you have photosensitivity. So whether it's you, whether it's your patients, there are a number of strategies that can help with this one in particular. You can use tinted glasses, you can use, and I'm not affiliated with this app, but the Flux app or the F-Lux app can really help you dim your screen, or you can use physical filter over your computer. Same thing, dimming your phone, using dark mode are all great strategies. And then since we're talking about the fact that it is nervous system disruption, you can think about different ways to support your nervous system. And I'm sure you have a lot of your favorite ways. Some people like deep breathing, others like meditation, maybe a gentle walk. Walking is so good for the nervous system, getting your heart rate up, supporting that blood flow, that circulation, oxygen, nutrients to the brain. Some people like cold exposure. Definitely not me. I know it is so, so, so good for you, but you will not catch me doing cold exposure. (laughs) So if you do like that or you are doing it despite not liking the cold, I will give you a virtual fist bump. Um, Let's see. So yes, we're talking about nervous system disruption. We talked about pupillary light reflex. There are so many other things that can be related to the autonomic subtype. So photosensitivity, yes, but noise sensitivity also. Orthostatic intolerance. So when there's dizziness, disequilibrium, when changing positions, Exercise intolerance, which is very, very common after a concussion. Digestive issues, dry eyes, heart rate dysregulation. So lots of different signs that may indicate you need some support or your patient needs some support in the area of the nervous system. The next subtype, maybe I'll do two more. The next subtype would like to mention is the cognitive one. So, the interesting thing is if you or your patient are suffering from a number of symptoms, so let's say exercise intolerance, light sensitivity, also having a lot of neck pain, there might not be a lot of capacity at that moment for cognitive function. So it's really important to consider the ebb and flow, right? If you are thinking, oh, my goodness, I can't concentrate, or I didn't remember this. But what else is your body and your brain spending energy on, right? Because there are limited energy reserves. And especially when recovering from a concussion, your brain, your body is using just so much energy to recover and is also producing less energy, it's less efficient in that acute stage especially, and you're trying to use energy. So there's this real mismatch. So certainly be kind to yourself first and foremost, but also knowing that sometimes it is a capacity thing. Now, but if you are having the cognitive phenotype, generally we think of things like poor concentration, easily distracted, memory difficulties, just feeling slowed down and taking longer to complete tasks. And this is why definitely a graduated return to work, a return to work plan should be organized, right? You can't just throw yourself back into the fire. You need to acclimatize yourself back to the work environment. This is a good time to collaborate with a speech language pathologist or an occupational therapist, both of which I love, love, love to collaborate with. Now, the last one I think, oh, I'll keep keep chatting Um, (laughs) because we have uh, maybe 15 more minutes. So metabolic, inflammatory, well, similar to what I just discussed, metabolism, is disrupted. So there is that mismatch in energy. And how this might present is fatigue, for sure. Um, Edema, you can actually have, which is essentially bogginess in the tissue, some swelling in the tissue, that would be more inflammatory. Some people actually will have it on their scalp. This is also common in migraine to have um, a bogginess or a fluid sort of on the top of your head. You could have chills or opposite You can feel very, very warm, temperature changes. That is um, one sort of sign. I think I said tissue tenderness already, joint pain, brain fog, not feeling as sharp. So, remember how I said in the beginning, there is a little bit of an overlapping that can happen with different subtypes. So, here we see that, right? Feeling slow. Okay, is it cognitive? Is it metabolic inflammatory? There really is a layering of the phenotypes or subtypes. Now, when we're thinking about managing some of these, especially metabolic inflammatory, what we do know is the Western diet is not right for recovery, right? So while maybe there is no specific concussion recovery diet, we do know what is not very helpful. So some practitioners like to recommend the ketogenic diet, which certainly can be helpful. There's evidence from other neurological populations. There might be a little evidence now being published in concussion. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest, but definitely it's been used, for example, in epilepsy, in seizure populations. Then the other diet, which is sometimes used, is just a, a low inflammatory or an anti-inflammatory diet, right? So low or no gluten, definitely no alcohol, because that might even confuse your symptoms, essentially, right? Or amplify them. And we know that the blood-brain barrier is disrupted actually within a few hours of sustaining a concussion. And so introducing a neurotoxin into the gut is probably not a great idea. Also low sugar is likely a good idea or no sugar. And some practitioners will recommend trying for low histamine foods. So it can be a little bit restrictive for some people. Of course, it's always best to work with a practitioner to see what is best for you, but sometimes just get back to the basics. Make sure you're hydrated, low sugar, nutrient-dense foods are going to be a good place to start. No alcohol. Then vestibular phenotype, which like I said, sometimes it's collapsed with ocular motor Some symptoms you might have, your patient might have, if you have the vestibular phenotype is balance issues, ringing in the ears. This one you can have poor concentration, loss of orientation. Some people will have nausea and vomiting. You can have nausea with the ocular motor phenotype. So, again, that sort of ebb and flow or layering of the phenotypes. You can have dizziness. I think I already said vertigo. And you can have positional changes. So you might have a head tilt if there's misinformation in the vestibular system. So depending on what is happening, we'll treat it in different ways. If you've had a crystal dislodged in your ear, then likely you're going to have a different type of maneuver facilitated from a physiotherapist usually, but also chiropractor, manual osteopath, someone who's trained in this type of vestibular rehab. But also the vestibular phenotype can be supported with manual therapy, physician, positional training, habituation, getting you used to activities again, and then the last one I'm going to touch on is mental health, the anxiety, depression, PTSD phenotype. I would say there is a layer of this in almost every patient I have ever met. And it is not surprising because a concussion is a trauma. It's a traumatic event that you were not expecting and it throws your life, your life upside down. So there is going to be the processing of that. And this phenotype looks like feeling anxious, nervous, maybe sadness, depression. Being irritable is a really, really big one. Emotionally reactive. And some people will have personality changes. They'll say, I just don't feel like myself. So it is important to collaborate with a psychologist, psychiatrist, psychotherapist, social worker can be helpful here as well. I generally will share meditations, but also I collaborate with an amazing practitioner who's a hypnotherapist and has been really helpful for my patients. So definitely offering that support if you're not able to provide it yourself. And remembering to give people hope because they need to know that there. so whether you're the patient or a practitioner, there is potential to improve. And our brains were literally designed this way. We were designed with neuroplasticity, which means we can heal. We can learn new things. Even as we get older, it used to be believed that I think at 25, you were doomed. But now we know that that is not the case. Thank goodness, because there are many, many years of joy and um, life after 25. So I think that is the concussion phenotypes in a nutshell. So there are many, many layers to concussion. And if you are a patient looking for a provider, sometimes if you have just one phenotype, maybe it's only your neck or you think it's only your neck, then your, your best bet is going to be a manual therapist. And hopefully that clinician can identify if there are any other practitioners that you need to collaborate with as well, um, such as a naturopathic doctor can be helpful with metabolic inflammatory. Or like I said, a psychotherapist might be happy, might be helpful for some of the mental health issues. And then OT can be really helpful for return to work. So it really is a team approach. I'm so grateful and fortunate to have a network of amazing clinicians. I'm located in Toronto, Ontario, although do consult basically around for people around the world. Um, But it really is an amazing concussion community here. So if you're interested in reaching out to me, my information is in the show notes. Like I said, the for clinicians, the ocular motor workshop is coming up next week. And, and that's it. My next episode of the Brainiac podcast, will have my colleague who is so incredible, um, Brigetta, and she is a naturopathic doctor. And we're going to talk about sleep, which is one of my favorite, favorite topics. So stay tuned. We'll catch you next time.